CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Thanks for joining Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Matthew Fairburn also of The Athletic, and Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Minstrels. Uh, we are going to talk about minicamp. The Bills are in it. Some teams bailed out of it. Uh, we have some news uh, around the AFC East, some interesting quarterback tidbits. Tua Tagovailoa throwing five interceptions today with the Dolphins. Uh, Mac Jones on Monday looking really good and having some of the media there a buzz over whether or not he has closed the gap with Cam Newton and whether or not he can be the starting quarterback. And don't forget Jarrett Stidham. And to round it out, Zach Wilson having some growing pains, which are to be expected uh, with the New York Jets. Um, guys, I'll just open it up. Uh, Matt, well, let's actually start with Matthew. You were out at Orchard Park. Uh, you've been at uh, Bill's minicamp uh, today. Um, a little bit of news in that uh, Star Latulale speaks for the first time. I guess just what are some, as my old uh, sports editor Howard Smith would say, some bips and bops about uh, Bill's training camp and uh, what you've been learning. I feel like Star Latulale returning is a big to-do today and him speaking and explaining his decision. He was very, very friendly in his session with reporters um i believe you use the word disarming would be a, an appropriate way to describe it he smiled and, a lot which you don't get from him uh, there was no stare down as you're asking the question which i don't think that uh, star when he does that is trying to be a badass i get the impression that he's probably i would do the same thing just seeing what what reaction he can get i think he's maybe having some fun himself by by playing the statue uh, the, the hard to interview guy, but to, yeah, he was disarming today. Yeah. John Morrow mentioned something like that at the end of the news conference to star that he just seemed a bit friendlier, a bit, you know, in a better mood uh, type of thing. And star said, well, you guys never talked to me. So that's you know. false. And there's, yeah, I'd say that's a half truth at best. I certainly have not talked to star that often, but when I have, it has not been greeted with, the type of smile that we saw today. Right. I, so I think, Usually when I talk to star, it's one of these deals. Um, it's like there's gamesmanship for the first couple of questions. I'll ask the questions and I have a habit a professional habit of asking open-ended questions. I do not ask yes or no questions. And he will find a way to give me a one or two word answer to an open-ended question. And after a couple of responses, I'll generally just let the silence just sit there and I'll, you know, like that. And then finally somebody has to start talking and he's kind of like, all right, I guess the, 
I guess I can go ahead and start talking and be a real human being here. It's like, come on, man. And then he, he loosens up a little bit. We have a little fun, but uh, very little fun. Sounds like flirting. <laughs> it's very similar to there flirting. Are, yeah, it's, there That's what interviewing is in a lot of right. ways. Yeah. He's, um, he seems refreshed to be back, um, it, which is a good thing, I would say, considering you know earlier in the offseason, I had reported that he was planning to come back and that the Bills were planning as if he would be back. And then people got all nervous because he wasn't at OTAs, assuming that that meant he had changed his mind or something. Uh, probably just because people uh, are too idle this time of year and they get all worked up about all sorts of things when their players aren't on the field playing football and doing football things. And so to have him back, I think, set a lot of people at ease. Sean McDermott continuing to play the hard ass in terms of he's got a lot of work to do. You know, he seemed a little peeved that he wasn't at the voluntary portion of this offseason program. He gave a very short answer when asked about star a few weeks ago and certainly made it sound like he's got a lot of work to do how much work i don't know star said he'd like to gain maybe five pounds to get back to his his playing weight and he had you know every right to opt out last season i think it was a, a you know a fine decision that he made he said he didn't watch all the games because it was a little tough for him and he you know when he did get in touch with teammates, it was to to lift them up because, you know, the media was saying things about the team or whatever, which I can't imagine was happening too often last year with a 13 and three season. But yeah, it sounds like he's, he's excited to be back. And well, knew- let's though, there were games where they got gashed and still won. So for when it comes to run, defense, That's true. I could see the him, defense- I could see him making some phone calls to Ed Oliver, even after victories, lifting guys up and and trying to, And I think, you know, he mentioned that he knew in the games that he did watch when he did turn on the TV and watch the team, he knew he wasn't done. He knew he wasn't going to retire because he was still, you know, it was still upsetting them when they were losing or, you know, whatever. So what kind of player they get is totally remains to be seen. I can't sit here and deceive our viewers or listeners into thinking one mini camp practice. I have magic eyes that, that can tell you that Star Latula is all the way back and there's nothing to worry about. But him being back in those types of spirits, it is extremely easy, right? It has never been easier as a professional athlete in the NFL to turn down an interview request than it is for Star right now in June to say, nope, I'm not talking. There's basically no recourse we would have had. So the fact that he participated willingly, took every question, was happy about it and having a good time with people, I'd say is a good sign about the type of spirits he's in. And he's a pretty important player, I think, for these, these bills. So I think, I think the best be piece of news. Back. Yeah. The best piece of news, Matthew, to me was that he needs to gain five pounds to get to his playing weight, which is, you know, you don't know a lot of times about football players, especially a guy like Star Latulale, who's very private, doesn't talk a lot. He's not the type of guy that you would be at the locker stall and shoot the shit with like Kyle Williams, uh, where, over the course of his career, you'd pick up that Kyle Williams gets smaller in the offseason or all these little things that you talk about. He's just not one of those guys that you would ever glean that from. So the idea that he was off for a year and needs to gain five pounds means he probably stayed in shape. Uh, he didn't let it get away. It's always easier to gain weight than it is to lose weight. Losing weight's tougher on your body um, when it comes to being an athlete. Well, 
probably in general, but with athletes, I'm talking mostly about having to cut weight, you know, boxers, all this other stuff, guys who uh, fight at middleweight, but in between fights, they're natural heavyweights. What's that, Jonah? I actually think, well, because I wanted to bring this up when Matt mentioned it before. I think concerning might be too strong a word, but I think when you're talking about an NFL lineman, uh, you don't want to see them lose weight. They kind of unnaturally play heavier than their natural body weights. A lot of that is muscle. I, I mean, I don't know what kind of numbers Styler Tulia is putting up in the weight room, but if he's also not as strong as he was at that previous playing weight, the position and the need the Bills have for what he can do on the defensive line against, you know, in run defense, I think maybe he puts that weight on now. Maybe that's what Sean McDermott means, that he's behind in the offseason program. But I think it's different than different sports where being losing weight in the offseason is a, something you do want to do. Sure, but we're talking about five pounds in June. We're not talking about 10 pounds in August. Right, but five um, so, pounds of muscle you can't put back on nearly as quickly as losing five pounds of fat. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Um, yeah, that's where the, the number – is always interesting to me. And this is a whole another conversation, but the, the way athletes weights are managed and talked about in football specifically is in, you know, I just did a story on AJ Epinesa who, when he got drafted was told he needed to cut weight. He played around 275, 280 at Iowa, got down to into the two forties. And, you know, so he had cut too much weight and, you know, he's up at around like low two fifties and Leslie Frazier says, I would like to see him at, at two fifty eight would be the ideal number, which is odd that they, they, you know, that it's that specific sometimes, but to Jonah's point, like two fifty two to two fifty eight, that is a fairly significant amount of weight. And you don't know what the number, the other numbers behind just the, the weight number, because body fat percentage, how much of it's muscle, how much of it's fat. He could have just size. Right. Yeah. Position. He could have lost a lot of muscle weight and gained a lot of weight in body fat and not be nearly as effective at 300 as he would be at 310 with a lot more muscle. So well, the fact that he needs to gain five pounds is that he, what it tells me is that he didn't go, he didn't get to 330 while he was sitting around not playing last, uh, last season. That he just didn't let himself go. He obviously, he obviously stayed in a, a modicum of shape, which, which is, is a fair point. But what I'm saying is, I think if he was 20 pounds overweight because he ate too much and fell out of condition, you can lose that 20 pounds and get in aerobic condition quicker than you can regain various strength losses although there's some you know if you were that strong before you muscle memory you can get that back but you look at somebody eric wood or joe thomas i saw recently he swims a lot they're in tremendous shape they look like olympic athletes but alan fanica they don't look like guys you'd want to put at center on an nfl offensive line they look too small and too light to hold their position on the line and do what you need an nfl lineman needs to be carrying around a bit of extra weight yeah you need to it depends on your body type to Tim's point. There are some guys who are doing unnatural things that normal humans walking around every day wouldn't do to maintain that weight. Eric Wood is a good example. Kyle Williams used to lose a ton of weight in the off season, every right. off season. Just because 
like I remember there was a at of course he's Mizzou, not a run stuffer like Latula. A guy a guy I covered at Mizzou was a guard on the offensive line, and he would talk about like what he had to eat to get up to three hundred pounds to be able to play guard for an SEC school in college football, and it was just it's a gross amount of food. And then between the end of the season and pro day, he was not an NFL caliber offensive guard. And, you know, this guy was a weird guy, guy we should probably have on the podcast sometime. He's, he's a character. Um, but he had a dream that he should be a fullback. He had a dream that he was an NFL fullback between the season, between the end of the season and the pro day, like a few months, he dropped like 60 pounds and was running routes as a fullback because that was the natural weight he was supposed to be walking around at. I don't know what that is for, for star. Maybe if, you know, he let himself go. Cause you see that guys who, you know, don't work out after they play, they go one way or the other, they either balloon or if they're, you know, one of those guys like Eric Wood or Jordan gross, and they just don't eat a disgusting amount of calories every day, they naturally lose a good amount of weight. As I think the other who- part of it is, Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew. The other part of it is they lose a lot of weight naturally during the season, right? If Star needs to get up to 310, he really probably needs to get up to 313 or 314 in case he loses weight during the season because he's not lifting as heavy and he's playing a bunch of snaps and whatever else. As someone who used to go to Hall of Fame induction weekend every year uh, for many, many years, uh, it is a lopsided ratio of – Hall of Fame offensive linemen who look awful because they've gained so much weight, their knees are shot, their backs, you know, they're in wheelchairs. And it's not necessarily, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's obviously wear and tear also, but they've let themselves go versus the ones who end up looking slender like like Eric Wood, Alan Fanica, although it's getting more and more common because I think these guys see it. And as soon as they retire, they start to get in shape. Alan Fanica, I think, is running marathons. Um, yeah, I don't, and I don't want to, I don't mean to say that like Eric Wood or Jordan Gross, like the weight just fell off. You know, those guys work out, eat right. Just well, I think Eric diet. had to do it for his neck also. Like yeah. he needed, the more weight he lost, the less of an issue his, his neck was. So and he put that. in a lot of work to, to get to that point and you adjust your diet, but the unhealthy eating habits that you, and I'm not talking about, oh, these guys are eating McDonald's every night and eating fast food. I'm just talking about the sheer number of calories that the, some of these guys have to consume to maintain that weight. It is a hard adjustment, I imagine, for a lot of them to say, it seems easy, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go from 3000 calories to you know, 1500 or whatever, and the weight will fall off like it does for some guys. But if you keep doing that and you're not in an NFL strength program and you're not having an NFL practice and game, uh, we can dietitians week, overseeing yeah, it and making right, you're your not, food. and yeah, you're, you're training. Sure. If you yeah. go from heavy lifting to riding the Peloton every day during quarantine, you might get into the best shape of your life, but it's a different body type and a different athletic makeup for playing football. Yeah. The amount of calories you need when you're, you're lifting the way these guys are and work, you know, working your body the way they are. It is like Tim mentioned too, you got dietitians. It is clean for the most part. I mean, Eric Wood would have his, uh, his Thanksgiving um, weight gain competition every year. And 
Uh, I'm sure they indulged in some wings and, you know, there's certain flexibilities you have in your diet when your goal is to get big and stay big. But a lot of it is eating, you know, clean, you know, protein shakes and, you know, lean meat, whatever. So it can be, it is an interesting point, I think, with Star because he is on the older side in his career. And because of the position he plays, it could have kind of gone one way or the other. I think he's, to Jonah's point, I'm less consumed by the number with him. And probably the same goes for AJ Epinesa. I know they have these target numbers they like to hit, but I'm less consumed with that than I am with what does it look like? How's he carrying it? And how does it look when he's engaging on blocks and trying to get off blocks? Because that's when you find out how strong and explosive a guy is. And to a certain extent, it doesn't totally matter what, what number it says next to his name in the program for those traits to translate onto the field. Is that why, or do you, why do you think Sean McDermott's saying he's behind? Cause clearly he knows the playbook and the system and, you know, he's not new to the type of things that they're maybe trying to install in June minicamp. I think that's Sean McDermott being Sean McDermott. You know, he doesn't like, he even had some comment about, you know, it's nice to see Jerry, you know, when asked about what, what Jerry could bring to the young guys, you know, it's nice to see him here because he hadn't been here. I'm surprised Jerry is because his wife is extremely pregnant. And, you know, I don't know exactly when she's due, but I think Sean McDermott saying those things about somebody like Star or anybody is that, you know, he said, oh, it's much easier to build a team when you're not scattered across the United States and you're in one building. And I think particularly the unknown for Sean McDermott was probably part of it. Everything we're talking about, people I found interesting with, with Star was there was all these concerns you know, despite reporting that he was going to come back, the fact that he wasn't there, people thought, oh, he's going to change his mind and retire. Somebody posted a, you know, a, a coach he was working with posted like a 20 second video of him working out. And everybody's like, man, he looks great. Look at him. He's so explosive. I guarantee Sean McDermott gleaned very little from the video and does, didn't really know where Star totally was. Um, everything we're talking about is part of why he could talk to star. He could find out how much he weighed. He could see what he's doing. He could take a look at those clips and get a little bit, but in terms of strength and in terms of figuring out where this guy is physically, I think, you know, that's part of why he was maybe hoping to see him, uh, for this voluntary portion and why he would say stuff like, Oh, you know, he's behind, he has catching up to do. He doesn't want to make it a normal thing. Like Star Latula just missed over a year of football and he's great. He looks like he never right. left. You know, maybe other guys on the team start to think, well, hey, uh, this voluntary thing's kind of useless. This yeah, whole it's offseason be conditioning like a is a little setting useless. For Sean. Like a default setting of, I can't give this guy anything because if I do, then uh, there's my dehumidifier going off. I don't know if you can hear the beeping there. Um, I can it's my alert that that we've said too much, too much about what it is. It's saying we've heard enough about star Latula. Let's need, let's change the subject. Um, but it's, I think it's Sean McDermott. Yeah. Not giving a player anything, regardless of whether it's a veteran, uh, a young guy, whatever. It's like, this guy's been gone for so long. I can't, I can't in good conscience, just totally dismiss the fact that he hasn't been around here. And I, 
human nature, and I'm not saying I know Sean McDermott well enough to get inside his head to get into how he feels, but he wasn't around last year when all these guys went through a, a pretty special season. And as much as Starlo Tulele said all the right things today about missing the guys and, you know, knowing that he wanted to, to keep playing because he longed for the game while watching these guys succeed. And he said he had no regrets, but I'm sure Sean McDermott is thinking the other guys on this team went through something and they are better for it that Starlo Tulele did not. Yeah, I think what you said about not wanting to necessarily give them credit. It's just the natural instinct of these football coaches. It's the same thing when we talk about, they didn't have all of this last year. So, and no team did. So everybody was on an equal playing field and I understand that, but just like everybody else in the world over the last year, when you didn't know, you know, you didn't know what things would look like if you did it differently until you were forced to do it differently. I think with the mini camps and with the, the OTAs, it's weird hearing how important it is and how it had, you know, how much great work is getting done when they didn't get any of this work done last year and had the best season they've had in quite a long time. So, you know, when it comes to star and him being behind, I don't read a whole lot into it. I also think Sean McDermott knows that that star can handle Sean saying he's a little behind. He's, He's not going to spiral. This is a guy that's getting his work done. He's, he's doing his thing. But Sean McDermott did not, you know, when I asked about Star a few weeks ago, he's like, well, he's not here, so I can't really speak on that, you know, and and I think was a little annoyed to an extent that he wasn't at the voluntary stuff, that he couldn't get eyes on him and see how he was doing, see, you know, where he was mentally. But he also knows, he picks his battles, I think, in the media. He knows who he can say something about publicly without that person you know, taking offense or maybe yeah, knowing fans that already guy don't like the right star. Way. There's a segment of fans who already don't like star because they can't tell what he does because there are no right. stats for run stuffing really, unless you want to look at analytics, which a lot of fans just don't do. Um, you can't see star Latule's value, especially when they did so well without him. Jerry Hughes, on the other hand, people love Jerry uh, and Gary. Um, so yeah, if, if Sean McDermott wanted to pick that battle, it would be interesting. Yeah, he, he knows what he's doing. He'll pump up certain younger players uh, when he feels like he, he wants to, when he wants to. You know, he said some nice things about Isaiah Hodgins and Ed Oliver today. And when he's been asked about certain players, he'll he'll pump the brakes, right? When he's asked about the rookies, they've got a long way to go or – when there's any sort of open competition for a guy's job, uh, you know, at corner or wherever else it's, it's, well, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. So as much as people say he says nothing or he'll never provide anything, he's just very strategic about it. And I think the more we get to know him, the more we hear him talk, the more we get an idea for, you know, what he's trying to do there. You know, Jonah, uh, before we started recording, you had a very nice observation about uh, mini camps uh, in general. Uh, and uh, here we were, here we are just spending a half hour talking about Starla Tulele, which is a little different. We haven't seen him in a year. This is the first we've heard from him. 
Uh, but your your thoughts on on NFL mini camps? Well, that when you see them getting canceled, or sometimes when the last day or the last couple of days of the mandatory mini camp gets canceled, or what would you call it, dismissed early? Yeah, I don't know. It makes it seem like it's really not that important. I think this is more my take on the media and how the media ecosystem around the NFL and how the NFL, everything that happens in the NFL gets covered. Like it's 365 Super Bowl Sundays and you're out there covering minicamp, especially as it gets to the end, the off season program seems to get more important as the season gets closer. And then when the last minicamp or the last couple of days of minicamp get canceled or they get sent home, or you, you see how eager the players are to get off the field and get the heck out of there you start to wonder, you know, how important was this to write this story about uh, what they were working on this week or, you know, just even the stuff that we're talking about today, like going around the AFC East, like who, who plays Sunday? Why do we care what's going on with the Patriots quarterback reps? But I also agree, right, I shouldn't say I don't agree. I also kind of understand and see how fans are obsessed with this stuff and they like being in that NFL season mode so much when it is the NFL season that it's it's feeding a fan need to feel like today on you know what is it June 15th that this feels like uh, you know week seven of the NFL season that's what a lot of fans want and the media and the league and and the back and forth between media access and the league it's all feeding that fan that wants to you know be a fan 365 days a year. Yeah, and I think that a lot of coaches, it's calculated. All right, we're going to set up our off-season program here, and I'm just going to go ahead and cancel minicamp. But this is the mandatory minicamp, which adds to it. Like you're saying, Jonah, if it's so freaking important, then why are any coaches out there that they would give up any practice time or any bonding time or reps or anything, playbook, for the rookies, if, if not for anything else? It is seems pretty hypocritical to put the emphasis on, boy, this guy just wasn't here. I'm not only talking about the guys who were here, um, who's who's skipping out uh, voluntary, who's skipping mandatory. Stephon Gilmore is not hasn't shown up at Patriots camp. Uh, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, um, all the drama, and then yeah, seven eight coaches are just saying, you know what, we're just gonna, we don't need them. We're just gonna, we're just gonna forfeit these three incredibly valuable as we would express in any other circumstance, these incredibly valuable moments uh, that are, that might help us win the Super Bowl. Uh, we're just going to throw them out the door. Yeah. It's a, I, I think the part of the reason why it's viewed as such an important deal and covered as such an important deal to Jonah's point, the NFL roster is so big and football is built up as such a complicated game that getting these reps in and getting all that on the field, the roster building becomes a sort of a, a monster unto itself that a lot of people like to follow every little nook and cranny of the roster. There's not too many times in Sabres training camp where you're saying, you know, there's four or five guys maybe that you're wondering, is this guy going to make the roster or what are the lines going to look like? Four or five is a lot. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's two. It's a couple of guys. And I remember the, the years are... I was covering the Sabres, it would be the only question is whether or not James Patrick is going to make the roster. And the lines are mo- – okay, so let's say you see the lines in training camp and you're like, oh, this is a big deal. Like, we finally get to look at these new lines. Six games into the season, they could say, yeah, screw this and change it all. <laughs> and 
so it's shorter. There's not as many questions. I'm assuming the same for the NBA, which I've never really followed or covered closely. Well, uh, a sport that has only two rounds to its draft. Sometimes you go into an NBA training camp with 15 guaranteed contracts and 15 roster spots, and you absolutely know who's going to make the team. And I don't know that the, the intrigue with these camps is so much about who's going to make the team so much as how does the team look. And for whatever reason, the NFL uh, has made it that how guys look now and in the summer might translate. And a lot of times it does. Uh, Devin Singletary, everybody's done their Devin Singletary story. But a lot of everybody's guys who, in the greatest shape of their lives, right? Wait, is the NFL the only sport that does this middle of the offseason training? Every other sport kind of has season, offseason training camp. There's no, I know college, colleges, college basketball, college football does it, but. Well, I know Tom Brady had an impassioned speech to the PA about how the football is the only sport that has anything closely resembling full speed offseason training. And I do think you get glimpses of, I don't think you get a lot out of this time of year. I mean, we're not even allowed to tell you who's starting, you know, who's with the ones who's at this point, they've cut off all that type of reporting and access, but you can start to see, I think it gives you an idea of what to look for at training camp. Like, okay, this guy seems to be standing out or Josh Allen's throwing his way a lot, or this guy, you know, it gives you a little bit of a preview and there's certainly people that want that training camp much more important when there's pads on and things are happening. You can see who is emerging as starters and, and who isn't, but I do think there is an obsession with the off season in the NFL because it feels like it matters. And yet every time this will probably be the case for as long as I do this, because it was one of my first mini camps. Every time I walk in there, I think about Des Lewis from Five, I think it was 2015, the Bills picked him in like the seventh round. And he was the, he was the spring sensation, wide receiver, uh, late round pick, tall guy, long, fast, catching everything. And then when the pads came on, he disappeared. And so it's hard for me to, you know, I think about that every time I walk in there in the spring, because anybody who stands out is standing out within the context of the fact that Sean McDermott readily admits they're not playing football yet. You know, this is a teaching camp. They're doing X, Y, and Z. So the canceling of it is interesting to me when it's like, and same as last year, you know, when they didn't have it, all of a sudden it didn't seem that important. You know, you know, other things were more important. And now when the PA is trying to push back and say, maybe this isn't necessary, you know, coaches are digging their heels in and trying to get participation numbers as high as possible. The fact of the matter is it's voluntary up until this week. And yet most of the league, even when the PA was telling them not to show up, had attendance that was pretty close to the Bills, high 70s of their roster showing up to this thing. So they've got a lot of people convinced it's important. And I do think it's important because people care about it, right? And people want to know about it. And people, people like having the NFL on the brain as often as possible. And maybe it's because the season's so short. You don't need a break from the NFL season. You need the opposite. The other sports, if you get to the end of a long hockey season, your team has made a playoff run, you almost need a break from watching, you know, so many games and watching every night, night after night for months on end. The football season, they strike that balance of giving you, some people would say, oh my, you know, Thursday night football and all this, it's too much. But 
a 17th game. It's too much, but they give you just enough that leaves you wanting, wanting more. It leaves you uh, gobbling up mock drafts and, you know, scouring the internet for rookie camp. Updates. They're pretty good at p- putting these things at times when there's nothing else to really do. And of course there are NBA and NHL playoffs going on right now, which are great. And obviously people are really into them. And major league baseball and golf and NASCAR. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. Yes. More important than NFL off season. Yes. But unless you're from a market that has one of these eight teams left in the, so the NHL, and of course there's such a Canadian aspect to it there, but if you're not distracted because your team is in the conference finals and it's either that or baseball. And yes, you have auto racing and golf and these fringy sports, but football has this way of just slipping in when there's not much else going on. And again, like I said, at night you have these playoff games, but football is just always there. You know, the draft is held at a time when you're kind of in the doldrums of later in the season. Um, Or then maybe, or maybe I'm just looking for, maybe I'm just, looking too hard at it. Maybe it's just football is football. And no matter what's going on in the rest of the world, you know, if you had mini camps going on on opening day of baseball or whatever, if you were to put the NFL, a non NFL game related thing, like the draft, like schedule release, like uh, training camp, whatever, if you were to put that up against a free agency opening, all these different events that aren't about games up against actual other sports stuff, a major, a golf major, uh, one of the four grand slam events, football probably wins. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why I'll, I'll never get hired to cover an NFL team, but because I don't think that, you know, the NFL is King and that it should be covered as the lead story 12 months a year. And that, you know, other sports have some importance, but nothing is more important than the NFL, especially in an NFL market. And it extends to the fans that they just want to talk about that, you know, week six game against Tennessee that's eight months away or however many months away, more than anything that's going on in the current sports climate. You know, I think it's a little, to me, it seems like an obsession. Obsessed right. with the NFL and the, the local NFL franchise above all else. When I get that in December and January and playoff time, but I don't think that should be a mindset people have in May and June. I know we need to get going here, but let me bring something up that's a little soapboxy that brings in the whole conversation. We probably should have started off with this instead of Starla Tulele, but well, you can um, edit it. So that brings in this whole conversation and also all the things that we do for a living that we that we focus on. So we've seen multiple versions of the Devin Singletary is in the best shape of his life story by different outlets have done it and done it and done it. And this is a kind of a cliche story in general, not with Devin Singletary, but the, the guy who's coming back who are from a off season, who's got something to prove, who's trying something different. He's in the best shape of his life. Uh, the story that I wrote for the athletic about Kiara Klein, which I think is a very serious and important story. And only one person's done it. I'm not saying that I'm so special that I did it. But what is it about, the, about football where somebody from another outlet sees a story and says, I need to do that one too, or I'm going to do that one. But the reaction when they see a story like Kiara Klein, who is sexually assaulted and told that that's not a hardship, something that affects anybody who plays 
section six sports or maybe even sports in the entire state of New York, high school sports, that, that these people are ruling on it. People say, Tim, you did a great job with that story. There's nothing else to do about it. Well, I mean, you're asking me, I think everybody should have been on that story before. I'm, I'm saying, in, in, it. yeah, it's like, but, I think it goes to show how we'd rather, I think, do another story that's already been done when it comes to football. But when there's another important story out there, people have a tendency to look at it and say, well, it's been done. There's no reason for well, me to do it. It's already been yeah, done. I think with your story, people probably look at the depth of your reporting and everything that you got in that story and think, you know, what else can be done? How do I do that story and add anything to it? Although different But everybody covers media, the, the news conference. Sean yeah. McDermott at the lectern. Everybody does that. Right. But some of it you could blame the readership because even the best high school story. I mean, I think that story did pretty well for the athletic, but very even well. a really good and important high school story might not get the same clicks and readership and attention as an aggregated NFL or Bill story. And some people, you know, if you really want to go inside baseball, some reporters don't even want to bother with anything but their favorite teams or their favorite beats. Not everybody's out there looking to tell the best story. Like I think, you know, the three people on this podcast and a lot of the people we have on this podcast, but there's a lot of reporters that have no interest in writing or paying any attention to anything, but, the Buffalo Bills and the NFL. And some of that's the way their brain is wired. And some of it's just laziness or ego. Um, I think that's part of making the NFL and the local NFL team out to be so much more important than every other sports franchise and sport and sporting endeavor is that when people rise to that level of covering the bills or the NFL, they feel like they're above covering or reporting on anything below that. And yet there are yeah. some very difficult bill stories that don't get, written about how many people really got into Russ Brandon's firing? Um, what you <laughs> John Morrow also. Okay. Um, but there, and I'm not, all right, maybe I'm, I'm using, I'm using that's that a good example, point, not to every, count myself, there but were because a whole lot of, of, re, of mine. a whole lot of reporters will talk about that behind the scenes and had heard some of the same things that you and John Morrow and others have heard, but you were, you guys were the only ones that really went out and tried to report on that. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I think maybe we should have a hack reporter on here once a week and kind of be like, how do you think? Explain to us how you do your job. Speaking of hack reporters, uh, Paul Kaharski made an impact on the podcast, apparently <laughs> in that uh, we're all wearing polos and no hats. Yeah. So his admonishment uh, uh, clearly was impactful and, and influential. No so we upped our professionalism. We did. We're, we're trying a, to do this the right way. So, so my dog's going to start barking because my daughter's friend just came over after school. I've already had my dehumidifier go off. So let's wrap this up before it gets incredibly unprofessional. Warning. What's that, Jonah? What does a dehumidifier warning even mean? It's full of water? It's, it's full. full of water. Yeah, yeah, I need to empty it. I don't have – it's not near a uh, – I thought it was you, get out of the house. There's too much humidity. <laughs> it, everything's too dry. Everything, everything's going to implode and fall in on itself if, if you don't leave. Um, okay. So, uh, good chat. We should have talked about the mini camps at the start. Uh, hopefully everybody stuck with it. Uh, I'll People tease it heavily backwards, like a Beatles record, right? For a backwards, uh, satanic masking. Um, yeah, put this on your reel to reel and see what, see what messages come out of it. Uh, for Matthew Fairburn, for Jonah Bronstein, for my dehumidifier and for Daisy. Uh, thank you for listening to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK.
The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.